Okay, um, so the car has crashed. Uh, the divorce paper is signed. The child is lost. The depression has kept you in bed, writes Kate Morris. We might add to today, we might add, the world is scary. Uh, I feel shut in and shut down in life. And Dr. Seuss is bad. These are the things that we're feeling now, right? These are the things that are going on with us. Um, Kate Norris continues, it might be happening to us. It might be true about us. It's what we can't stop, try as we might. It's where we could not be more scared, more angry, more despairing, more unattractive, more selfish. Many of us live this, she says, every day in some way, and sometimes it all comes crashing in. So what is this? What is this that we're talking about? What is this that she's talking about? You felt it. You're probably feeling it now. What is it? Answer, need. I need. We're going to stand for the hearing of God's word as we look at need everywhere. In 13 chapters, we're coming to the culmination of needs. 22 years of needs. 22 years in Joseph's life, his brother's life, uh, Jacob's life, even Egypt's life. 22 years. Maybe you've been waiting 22 years with, I need a need. Well, here it is. We come to the culmination of it. We come to the the climax of it. We come to the resolution of it. Are you ready to have your needs met finally? Are you ready to have your relational needs met? Maybe it's our cultural needs. This is the place. This is the text. It happens now. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. All right, so in 45, 24, then he sent his brothers away. And as they departed, this is Joseph, sends his brothers back to Canaan. He said to them, do not quarrel on the way. It's almost like he knows what could happen, right? What do you think would happen while the brothers are going back? They've now got to tell their dad everything that's happened. And maybe they're going to start pointing fingers at each other. I don't know. But it's an interesting thing to say, don't, don't fight on the way, boys. Don't fight on the way. So they set up, so they went up out of Egypt, came to the land of Canaan, to their father Jacob. Here it comes. They told him, Joseph is still alive and he's the ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when they saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go down and see him before I die. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. 
So let's wrap up this particular section. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I've seen your face and know that you are still alive. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, O Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this text. We thank you that everything's been building to this moment. And we ask that you would resolve this moment for us. We ask that even now that as we all know and feel deep in our bones, I need, oh Lord, would you meet us there? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's the question of the text. How do you live with I need? I mean, how do you live with that in your life? How do you live or do relationships with need? How do you do church with need? How do you do community and friendship with this aching need? How do you serve Waco with I need? How do we do this? And the answer is not like you think. That's what's so stunning about all of this. It's not what we intuitively think it's going to be. So even right now, it's going to be like, what just happened? Look at verses 25 through 28 of chapter 45. you have them? Grab them. Look at them. This is supposed to be the ultimate resolution of everything. Right? This is, this is the ultimate revolution or resolution of the brother's need. All the brother's need. 22 years of serial sin, 22 years of evil and guilt, 22 years of ruin and wreckage. This is their resolution. This is also supposed to be the ultimate resolution of Jacob's need. He's been suffering for 22 years, 22 years in pain over the loss of his beloved son. And knowing that something shady happened. You got the ultimate resolution of Joseph's need, right? This is 22 years of abuse for him. 22 years of scarring at the hands of brothers. 22 years of being swallowed up by powers that are beyond him, that he can't even control. A wife of another man that accuses him of rape. Some, you know... Baker, who forgets that he saved his life by telling him dreams. 22 years, 13 chapters. You and I, the ultimate resolution for the reader. This is our need. We, we want resolution. You know, we want to know. This is 13 chapters. Y'all, this is the longest section in all of Genesis. No one gets covered for 13 chapters. Not Abraham, not Isaac. 13. Chapters Joseph gets. So you could say this is the point of the book. In other words, Genesis is racing to here. This is the centerpiece. This is the central message. And so here we are. Here we are. We need, we need, we need, we need resolution. We have so many needs of 22 years that have built up. And we get here, and here's the answer crickets. Crickets. What about the bloody robe, boys? 
crickets. Well, what about 22 years of suffering, the suffering of a father and the suffering of a son? What about 22 years of just wreckage? Crickets. Nothing. Silence. How do you live with need? How do you live with I need? Not like we think. Not by trying to meet our needs. Not by focusing in on our needs. Not by being needy. There's a difference between being needy, without quotation marks, scare quotes, and then there's being needy, right? There's the need that comes from being a human being. There's the need that comes from being a creature. There's the need that comes from being, in your DNA, you're dependent. In your DNA, you are ultimately dependent on someone and something bigger than you. It goes with all of life. But then there's this thing called being needy, right? And when we're being needy, we're acting like a Hoover vacuum cleaner. You know what that is? Or maybe it's the Dyson. I don't know. Whatever your, fa it, it, whatever your favorite vacuum cleaner is. The vacuum cleaners only do one thing. They suck. And suck. And suck the life out of everything. Being needy is being a Dyson. Being needy is being a Hoover. It is sucking everything you can get. That's a little different. One of the ways we try to meet our needs is to think about them. This is one of the ways we're a Hoover vacuum cleaner. We, we try to meet our needs by thinking about them over time. This is why we're constantly thinking about ourselves. This is why we're constantly obsessively worrying. We're constantly obsessively anxious because we're thinking about our needs. We're thinking about ourselves, right? So we overanalyze. We overprepare. We... We rewrite and rewrite and rewrite the tweet or the email and reread it and reread it oh, no, no. constantly. Or we're perfecting and perfecting areas of our life, right? I love it when, you know, my wife will say, hey, honey, you're being a perfectionist in this area. As if she's not a perfectionist in this area. In other words, everybody's OCD. You just got to find the area. Like for me right now, I didn't know I would be OCD. I didn't know I'd be so like overthinking, overworking, overperfecting a clean truck. I finally have a decent vehicle. It's taken me 50-something years to finally get a decent vehicle. I never cared about keeping it clean before because I never had a decent vehicle. Now I have a decent vehicle, and I'm like, oh. I'm like, who am I? What happened to me? <laughs> this is why we get high on the drug of self-righteousness all the time. Our whole culture is OCD right now. Our whole culture is manic right now. Our whole culture, all of us included, 
are obsessively thinking about ourselves, constantly, obsessively. We're thinking about our race all the time now. We're thinking about gender all the time now, or non-gender all the time. We're thinking about our sexual desires all the time. Hetero, homo, bi, same sex, whatever it is. We're thinking about political power, our political power all the time, whether we have it or whether we don't. We're thinking about what others think, what others people believe. Now we care about what people believe and think in the privacy of their own minds. We are so obsessed with thinking about ourselves. Why? Because we're all trying to meet our needs. We're thinking about our grievances all the time, real and imagined. Why do we obsessively think about ourselves? Because it's a form of control, that's why. There's this phenomenal passage, y'all. I keep telling you, please read Romans over. If you just camped out in Romans 6 through 8 for like a long time, there was a time, or a time in this, my personal life and the church life, I camped out, reread it, reread it in the original language, and I'm telling you, Paul describes the sinful mind as obsessively thinking, obsessively trying to control in Romans 8. In fact, he calls it the mind of the flesh. In other words, the mind of the Adamic self, the mind of your old nature, only thinks about itself, obsessively thinks about itself, constantly striving to control life, control a relationship, control yourself, control your Christianity, control your job, control your culture, control what people think, control this, control that. It's just what it does. It's natural. But you haven't noticed that this never works? Are we getting better by constantly thinking about ourselves right now? No. Another way we try to meet our needs is to blame. Right? This is another way we try to meet our needs. Blame someone or something for not getting our needs met, or someone or something if we get blocked from our needs. The usual suspects are God, right? Usually that's what happens. When, when we don't get our needs met, immediately, primarily, primally, we direct everything towards God. God, you aren't meeting my needs. Or if it's not in a church context, if you're not a church person, you blame it on karma or bad luck or the dog or bad circumstances, or your wife that left you, or the husband that walked out. We blame it on anything when we don't get our needs met. It's another strategy to get your needs met is to blame things. Blame someone. I mean, we blame spouses, we blame our parents, we blame our children. There was a whole nation that got together in the 1930s and the 1940s and blamed a whole race. Adam was the first to do it. She did it, God. And now we're all experts, right? We're all experts. You did it. I silence you. You're the devil. How do you live with I need? Not like we think. 
not by trying to meet your own needs. Never works. Never. I want you to look at verses 25 through 28 again. It, this is a, it's stunning. It's shocking. It's like the Bible intentionally forgot what happened. The climax of the whole book, the climax of 13 chapters, the ultimate resolution, and it's like the Bible just forgot about it. It's like the Bible forgot 22 years of serial sinning, 22 years of evil, 22 years of wreckage and ruin at the hands of brothers. It forgot 22 years of acute suffering, 22 years of desperate anxiety and pain, 22 years of having the battle wounds and the scars of being abused. And it's like the Bible just forgot it. Forgot it. And of course, that's, that's the point. All need is forgotten. This text wants to tell you there is a place called the forgotten. And it's the freest place on the planet. It's the most beautiful place on the planet. It's the most powerful place on the planet. It's the most life-energizing, life-giving place on the planet. I want us to just pause just for a second at this text because what this text is saying and what God is saying to you and me is this, that it's possible to forget all your needs. It's possible to forget all your serial sinning and your evil and your guilt. It's possible to forget all your suffering and all your pain. It's possible to forget all the wreckage and the ruin in your life that you've brought into your life, that others have brought into your life. It's actually at this point, the Bible is trying to say to you and me, God is trying to say to you, it's possible to forget. There's a place called the forgotten. I mean, who wants to go to that place? Do you want to forget yourself? God is inviting you here this morning. The Bible is inviting you right now to a place of the forgotten. Where you can experience freedom from obsessing over all your needs. Freedom from obsessively thinking about yourself. This text invites relationships. It invites churches. It invites communities. It invites our culture. It invites Waco to forget to the forgotten place. Forget yourself and forget your needs. To not think about them. To put aside blame. God is saying, I invite you to this place right 
now. The place of the forgotten. So where is this place, right? So maybe you want to go there. Maybe you're like, you know, I'd like to try that place out because what I'm doing now just isn't working. And that's an okay motivation. That's actually what the Bible would call the law. The law is an expert at bringing you to the place of need. The law is an expert of bringing you to the end of yourself. The law is an expert of bringing us to the end of you can't meet your own needs. You can't rescue yourself here. You can't solve this. You can't fix this. You can't make this alive. You can't put that to death. The law is an expert. So maybe if, if you're at that place, that's a great place to be. Fantastic place to be. That's God actually at work. So when our culture finally gets there, it's going to be a great place. We're not there yet. Not in a long shot. So it's going to take a lot of like failure until we get there. So be ready for it. And if you are, you can be the one that comes in and picks up the pieces. The one that walks in when everybody else has abandoned the failure and now more blame happens and now more toxicity happens. And then there's these strange people called Christians that actually believe in good news and they powerfully, boldly walk in and heal and help. Where is this place called the forgotten? Where? Is this place called the forgotten? Verse 27, but when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. Literally, the text says the spirit of their father Jacob lived again. That's the Hebrew. The spirit of their father Jacob lived again. Came back to life. The details of need are missing in this text. Do you see that? We've established that. But not the details of what God has done. Oh, there we are. Now we're getting somewhere. The details of need are missing in this text, but not the details of what God has done. I mean, I want you to look at when they told him, all the words of Joseph. And then when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent. So what's the content of all these words? What's the content of all these wagons? Answer what God has done. Answer what God has done for Joseph. Answer what God has done for Jacob. Answer what God has done for the sons. Answer what God has done for Egypt. Answer what God has done for the world. And when you hear and see what God has done, you come alive again. You get transported to the place called the forgotten. And all of a sudden, you're no longer thinking about yourself. You're no longer trying to meet your needs. When you hear and see what God has done, God meets you. It's so strange. When you hear and you see what God has done, I mean, Jacob is like, 
Did you notice what it said when he first heard it? Hey, Joseph's alive. And he's like, I'm numb. I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't. You are freaking me out and you are weird. Right? That's exactly what he says. He says, I don't believe a word you said. And it says, it wasn't until he heard the words of Joseph. And it wasn't until he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent. What were those things? What was the contents of the things? In other words, all that God had done. Look what God had done. And when, when you hear what God had done, when you see what God has done, this mysterious, powerful, astonishing thing happens. God meets you at your place of need. You're saying, but you don't know my needs. I don't need to know your needs. When you hear what God has done, he meets you at your place of need. But you don't know my needs. He'll meet you at your place of need. Are you 22 years plus of serial sinning, guilt, evil? He'll meet you at your place of need. Are you 22 years of acute suffering without relief despite your groans and complaints and prayers? He'll meet you at your place of need. 22 years of relational tension, relational wreckage, not being able to solve it, he'll meet you at your place of need. 22 years plus of anxiety and fear, worrying about children, worrying about your job, worrying about a culture, worrying about politics, he'll meet you at your place of need. And when he meets you at your place of need, strange things happen. You come alive again. And you say things like David, I shall not want. Translation, I shall not need. I know some of us are thinking, oh, my word, Jeff. Are you talking about stoicism? <laughs> I mean, there is a philosophy of life like this, right? You know, just stuff it. Stuff your needs. Deny your needs. Be a robot. Now, that's my tendency, but that's not what the Bible's talking about here. The Bible is talking about here, this is not being a robot. This isn't about stuffing it. This is about the Lord is my shepherd. And the shepherd meets me at my place of need. Therefore, I shall not want. I shall not want. Where is this place called the forgotten? You know where it is? It's wherever I need becomes I need God. That's the game changer right there. I need, I need. If it's only I need, you are a Hoover or a Dyson or a shark. You're sucking everything to death because you need. And I'll let you in on a little secret. Everybody else knows that too. But when I need moves to I need God, change. Things change. Cultures change. Politics change. Your tweets change. 
you don't need people to think highly of you anymore. You don't need people to think you're a good person anymore. You don't need people to think that you're not a racist anymore. You don't need, you don't need, you don't need, you don't need. Okay, so um, Israel takes this journey, verse 1. With all that he had to Beersheba, offers sacrifices to God, his father. And God spoke to Israel in the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. Jacob says, here I am. Now, notice what God says to Jacob. This is just breathtaking. He says, listen, I'm God. I'm the God of your father. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. Don't be afraid to go down there. You're all your people now, your whole family, your tribe. Now, this is, the, this is the nation, right? This is the nation. This is the, this is the church in a nation going to Egypt. And God says to him, I will make you into a great nation. And here it is. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Now, Jacob has been saying over and over again for 22 years, over and over again, he's been saying this. I'm going down to the grave. I'm going down to Sheol. That's the grave. I'm going down to the, the living dead. I'm going down to the dead in sorrow. 22 years. I'm going down to the dead in sorrow. He's had 22 years of suffering, 22 years of loss, 22 years of fearing more loss, like Benjamin. And every time it's like, I'm going down to the grave in sorrow. (laughs) And here God says to him, okay, I'll go with you. What? Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll go down there with you. But you don't understand, I'm going down, I'm at, I'm going down to the grave in all my loss. I'll go, I'll go with you. I'm going down to the grave in all my relational wreckage. I'll, I'll go with you. I'm going down into the grave because people just don't understand me and they're misunderstanding me and I, I look like a jerk. I'll go with you. I'll go with you. I'll go with you. Remember that uh, Egypt is obsessed with death. Do you remember that? You know, they have all the pyramids for death. (laughs) Yeah. And they have all the mummies for death, right, to preserve death. I mean, they're obsessed with death, and and the world knew it. Everybody knew that in the world. Everybody knew. So you could say things like this. Egypt, the ancient world called Egypt the land of the graves and the land of the dead. Those were things that were said about Egypt. I wonder if God knew about those things. And so when he says this, notice what he's saying. He could be saying to Jacob, I myself will go down with you to Egypt. I myself will go down with you into Sheol. I myself will go down with you into the grave. I myself will go down with you into the dead. And don't miss this. Don't miss what God says next to him. Because everyone knows Jacob's going to die in Egypt. Jacob knows he's going to die. He's telling all his sons, hey, I'm going to die in there. You just make sure you get my, my bones back to Canaan. 
because everybody knew the land that they were leaving was the land that well, all the promises were made. This was a big deal. That's why to leave it was like, whoa, if we leave here, God leaves us. And God's like, no, 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 I'm going to go with you. Okay, so when I die, you have my bones, and we're coming back. You make sure you bring those bones back. Joseph, Joseph even says it, right? Hey, I'm dying. When I die, you take my bones back. Back. So why didn't God say it this way? And I will bring your body up again. Or I will bring your bones up again. He says, I will bring you, you up again. The answer is because God is pointing to something more. And so in Jesus, God goes down to Egypt with you. In Jesus, God goes down to the grave with you. In Egypt, or in Jesus, God goes down to your suffering, to your ruin, to your wreckage, to your guilt, to what's been done to you, with you. And brings you up again. And now, I need turns into, I need you, Jesus. That's what I need. And therefore, I shall not want. I shall not 